Contents Page 1 1. Introduction to On Language, Paps and Models 3 The Root Problem to be Addressed, Complete Ending of Negative Emotions 4 The Root of Emotions According to Neurology 1 Evolution of the Human Brain, The Three Brains in Us 2 The Amygdala and Emotional Hijacking of the Brain 3 The Amygdala, Source of Emotional Memory and Reaction 4 the feeling brain versus the thinking brain, amygdala versus neocortex 5. The solution to end afflictive emotions based on neurology 6. The Advaita model versus the neurology model. Page 2. Peters, Actual Freedom Trust, Solution Same as that of Advaita. Introduction. In this three parts article series starting with part 1, How Does a Yani Person Deal with the Negative Impacts of the World? Part 1 third, to Diksha Slash Endurance. Through Part 2, How Does a Yani Person Deal with the Negative Impacts of the World? Part 2 thirds, Buddha slash High Indifference, I am now presenting the final part of this series. The article series is basically detailing how a self-realized being in the path of Advaita deals with negative impacts of life. I had said in my second part of this series that I would be talking about the same issue in a scientific language to show how the ancient wisdom of Advaita can be interpreted in terms of modern neurobiological approaches that try to help man in coming out of their suffering. In part 2 I had talked about the issue of language, paps and models. The reader is requested to please read it before proceeding further. It is certainly not an easy topic to grasp, but one should read it nonetheless. In fact, I am presuming that the reader of this article has already read the previous two articles in this series. Without it, this article will not make any sense because I am going to draw parallels between what I wrote there and what I am presenting here. On Language, Paths and Models Assuming you have read the section of language, paths and models in part 2, I wish to caution the reader that what I am presenting here is just an analogous presentation of Advaitic method of self-inquiry in scientific language. I am not saying that Advaita, like science, considers matter to be the ultimate reality. Unlike science, Advaita does not consider the ultimate reality to be made of discrete, self-existing objects. All phenomena, according to Advaita are empty awareness slash Braham. They are of an indeterminate nature free from the four extremes of existence, non-existence, existence and non-existence, neither existence nor non-existence, according to Advaita, the ultimate reality of life is free from any subject-object duality. While science considers brain to be solid matter, objectively existing reality, for Advaita, brain is empty awareness or braham. While science and neurobiology reduces everything to matter with discrete parts and cause and effect relations between parts, Advaita sees no self-existent parts and cause-effect relationships between them and the ultimate reality. Science, thus sees the birth, modification and death of matter, Advaita sees that all phenomena are timeless awareness slash Braham, free from all modifications and free from all subject-object duality as their ultimate truth. Having understood this, one may ask, how can I compare or think of relating to such disparate worldviews? Well, the answer is that the ultimate reality of Advaita does not cancel the functioning of the world in any way. It just removes the ignorance of its true nature. Thus, Advaita does not negate the laws of science, its laws of cause and effect, and its efficacy in our normal life. What Advaita says is that the materialistic scientific view is not what life is from the ultimate viewpoint. For Advaita, all name forms are nothing but superimpositions, without any inherent objective reality. There is no objective and really existent brain out there. It is just a name form superimposed on the ultimate reality, empty awareness. 
So in this article I'm taking the brain and the work done in the field of neurobiology, which is an objective reality for scientists, as a name form in Advaita to show that when we do this morphing science and Advaita agree. The root problem to be addressed, complete ending of negative emotions. This three-part article series has set out to address one root problem of humans, negative emotions. As all would know, the purpose of non-dual self-inquiry is the ending of all suffering, which no doubt entails the ending of all negative emotions. The solution proposed by Shankara's Bhavardhavada Advaita is to first gain true and direct knowledge of oneself as witness and then abide to abide as witness to root out vashanas slash prarabdha karma slash karmic defilements of past lives. In part 1 and part 2 of this article series I described two phases of abiding as witness, tatiksha slash endurance and uddhasanata slash high indifference. Both entailed standing as witness equanimous to all emotions albeit with some difference in the texture and grade. Uddhasanata, I had said was a higher grade of witnessing than tatiksha. For the complete implications of these two grades of witnessing to root out all negative emotions, one has to read the articles, here, in a shorthand way I can say that Tatiksha is an amoral witnessing stance leaning more to endure all kinds of circumstances while Uddhasanata is a moral witnessing stance that leans more on remaining calm and indifferent to the surge of emotions without taking any action on them. In this article I am going to show that recent neurology studies done by Ledoux, an American neuroscientist whose research is primarily focused on survival circuits in the human brain, including their impacts on emotions such as fear and anxiety, whose work was used by Daniel Goleman, an author and science journalist known for his theory of emotional intelligence, lands to the same solution of wiping out negative emotions, witnessing. Although Daniel Goleman, working on Ledoux's scientific studies, takes it only to the level of developing self-restraint and compassion, Peter of Actual Freedom who has developed a path on self-inquiry called actualism, uses this model for complete ending of all negative emotions by the destruction of self-slash-ego what Peter calls instinctual self plus psychological self. I am inspired by Peter to show how Advaita is talking of the very same thing as he is. Though I must say that I am only borrowing this inspiration from Peter, I do not agree to all his denunciation of other traditional paths of self-inquiry based on his misinterpretations and misreadings. The Root of Emotions According to Neurology Greater than man and the higher animals, especially the primates, have some few instincts in common, similar passions, affections, and emotions, even the more complex ones, such as jealousy, suspicion, emulation, gratitude and magnanimity, they practice deceit and are revengeful, they are sometimes susceptible to ridicule, and even have a sense of humor. Greater than Greater than the Descent of Man, published 1871, 2nd ed., 1874, by Charles Darwin, ch. 3. The same observation was cited by Shankara as proof of man sharing the animal brain in his Brahmasutra Bhashya introduction. Greater than that our knowledge, empirical, is no knowledge at all is further proved by the fact that we do not differ from animals in the matter of cognition. Just as a cow runs away when she sees a man with a raised stick in his hand, while she approaches one with a handful of green grass, so also do men, who possess higher intelligence, walk away from wicked persons shouting with drawn swords, while they approach those of an opposite nature. The behavior of animals in cognition etc., is well known to be based on ignorance. Therefore, it can be inferred that man's conduct in the matter of cognition etc., so long as they are under delusion, is also similarly based. Greater than Greater than Brahma Sutras, Shankarabhashya, by Swami Vareshwarananda, 1936. Evolution of the Human Brain, The Three Brains in U.S. 
To better grasp the potent hold of the emotions on the thinking mind, and why feeling and reason are so readily at war, consider how the brain evolved. Human brains, with their three pounds or so of cells and neural juices, are about triple the size of those in our nearest cousins in evolution, the non-human primates. Over millions of years of evolution, the brain has grown from the bottom up, with its higher centers developing as elaborations of lower, more ancient parts. The growth of the brain in the human embryo roughly retraces this evolutionary course. 1. Brainstem, primitive brain, the most primitive part of the brain, shared with all species that have more than a minimal nervous system, is the brainstem surrounding the top of the spinal cord. This root brain regulates basic life functions like breathing and the metabolism of the body's other organs, as well as controlling stereotyped reactions and movements. This primitive brain cannot be said to think or learn, rather it is a set of pre-programmed regulators that keep the body running as it should and reacting in a way that ensures survival. This brain reigns supreme in the age of the reptiles, picture a snake hissing to signal the threat of an attack. 2. Limbic system, emotional brain, with the arrival of the first mammals came new, key layers of the emotional brain. These, surrounding the brainstem, look roughly like a bagel with a bite taken out at the bottom where the brainstem nestles into them. Because this part of the brain rings and borders the brainstem, it was called the limbic system, from limbus, the Latin word for ring. This new neural territory added emotions proper to the brain's repertoire. When we are in the grip of craving or fury, head over heels in love or recoiling in dread, it is the limbic system that has us in its grip. As it evolved, the limbic system refined two powerful tools, learning and memory. These revolutionary advances allowed an animal to be much smarter in its choices for survival. 3. Neocortex, thinking brain, about 100 million years ago the brain in mammals took a great growth spurt. Piled on top of the thin two-layered cortex, the regions that plan, comprehend what is sensed, coordinate movement, several new layers of brain cells were added to form the neocortex. In contrast to the ancient brain's two-layered cortex, the neocortex offered an extraordinary intellectual edge. The Homo sapiens neocortex, so much larger than in any other species, has added all that is distinctly human. The neocortex is the seed of thought, it contains the centers that put together and comprehend what the senses perceive. It adds to a feeling what we think about it, and allows us to have feelings about ideas, art, symbols, imaginings. However, the fact that the thinking brain grew from the emotional reveals much about the relationship of thought to feeling, there was an emotional brain long before there was a rational one. Though, it would be fair enough to say that the triumphs of art, of civilization and culture, are all fruits of the neocortex. This new addition to the neocortex brain allowed the addition of nuance to emotional life. Take love. Limbic structures generate feelings of pleasure and sexual desire, the emotions that feed sexual passion. But the addition of the neocortex and its connections to the limbic system allowed for the mother-child bond that is the basis of the family unit and the long-term commitment to child-rearing that makes human development possible. Species that have no neocortex, such as reptiles, lack maternal affection. When their young hatch, the newborns must hide to avoid being cannibalized, in humans the protective bond between parent and child allows much of maturation to go on over the course of a long childhood, during which the brain continues to develop. But these higher centers do not govern all of emotional life, in crucial matters of the heart, and most especially in emotional emergencies, they can be said to defer to the limbic system. Because so many of the brain's higher centers sprouted from or extended the scope of the limbic area, the emotional brain plays a crucial role in neural architecture. As the root from which the newer brain grew, 
The emotional areas are intertwined via myriad connecting circuits to all parts of the neocortex. This gives the emotional centers immense power to influence the functioning of the rest of the brain, including its centers for thought. The amygdala and emotional hijacking of the brain. In humans the amygdala, from the Greek word for almond, is an almond-shaped cluster of interconnected structures perched above the brainstem, near the bottom of the limbic rin neocortex. There are two amygdalas, one on each side of the brain, nestled toward the side of the head. The human amygdala is relatively large compared to that in any of our closest evolutionary cousins, the primates. The hippocampus and the amygdala were the two key parts of the primitive nose brain that, in evolution, gave rise to the cortex and then the to this day these limbic structures do much or most of the brain's learning and remembering. The amygdala is the specialist for emotional matters. If the amygdala is severed from the rest of the brain, the result is a striking inability to gauge the emotional significance of events. This condition is sometimes called effective blindness. Ledoux's research explains how the amygdala can take control over what we do even as the thinking brain, the neocortex, is still coming to a decision. In one of the most telling discoveries about emotions of the last decade, Ledoux's work revealed how the architecture of the brain gives the amygdala a privileged position as an emotional sentinel, able to hijack the brain. As shown in the schematic model pick above, borrowed from http colon slash slash actualfreedom.com.au slash library slash topic slash instincts.htm, his research has shown that sensory signals from eye or ear travel first in the brain to the thalamus and then, across a single synapse, to the amygdala, a second signal from the thalamus is routed to the neocortex, the thinking brain. This branching allows the amygdala to begin to respond before the neocortex, which mulls information through several levels of brain circuits before it fully perceives and finally initiates its more finely tailored response. Those feelings that take the direct route through the amygdala include our most primitive and potent. The conventional view in neuroscience had been that the eye, ear, and other sensory organs transmit signals to the thalamus, and from there to sensory processing areas of the neocortex, where the signals are put together into objects as we perceive them. The signals are sorted for meaning so that the brain recognizes what each object is and what its presence means. From the neocortex, the old theory held, the signals are sent to the limbic brain, and from there the appropriate response radiates out through the brain and the rest of the body. That is the way it works much or most of the time, but Ledoux discovered a smaller bundle of neurons that leads directly from the thalamus to the amygdala, in addition to those going through the larger path of neurons to the cortex. This smaller and shorter pathway, something like a neural back alley, allows the amygdala to receive some direct inputs from the senses and start a response before they are fully registered by the neocortex. This discovery overthrows the notion that the amygdala must depend entirely on signals from the neocortex to formulate its emotional reactions. The amygdala can trigger an emotional response via this emergency route even as a parallel reverberating circuit begins between the amygdala and neocortex. The amygdala can have a spring to action while the slightly slower, but more fully informed, neocortex unfolds its more refined plan for reaction. This quick and dirty processing pathway results not only in a direct automatic bodily response to either an actual or a perceived danger, but because the amygdala also has a direct connection to the neocortex, it causes us to emotionally experience the feeling of fear, i.e. we feel the feeling of fear a split second later than the bodily reaction. Not only is the primitive brain's response quick and dirty, it is also very powerful in that it primes the whole body for action, which is precisely why instinctual reactions and the resulting instinctual passions are ultimately so hard to keep in control. 
Now, these are things we all know well from personal experience as well as from observation of others, but it is fascinating that scientific investigation of the hardware of the human brain is now providing the biological evidence of how what is known as human nature operates. That the amygdala is quicker than cognitive awareness is easily experienced in driving a car and very suddenly encountering a dangerous situation. The foot is on the brake before we are consciously aware there has been any danger. With the awareness of danger comes an emotional response induced by the amygdala along the stronger pathway to the brain. Even when the danger has ceased it can take a while to calm down, the pathway back to the amygdala being considerably weaker. The amygdala, source of emotional memory and reaction. The amygdala can house memories and response repertoires that we enact without quite realizing why we do so because the shortcut from thalamus to amygdala completely bypasses the neocortex. This bypass seems to allow the amygdala to be a repository for emotional impressions and memories that we have never known about in full awareness. Not only that, the amygdala seems to imprint in memory most moments of emotional arousal with an added degree of strength, that's why we are more likely, for example, to remember where we went on a first date, or what we were doing when we heard terrible news. The more intense the amygdala arousal, the stronger the imprint, the experiences that scare or thrill us the most in life are among our most indelible memories. This means that, in effect, the brain has two memory systems, one for ordinary facts and one for emotionally charged ones. A special system for emotional memories makes excellent sense in evolution, of course, ensuring that animals would have particularly vivid memories of what threatens or pleases them. But emotional memories can be faulty guides to the present. As the repository for emotional memory, the amygdala scans experience, comparing what is happening now with what happened in the past. Its method of comparison is associative, when one key element of a present situation is similar to the past, it can call it a match which is why this circuit is sloppy, it acts before there is full confirmation. It frantically commands that we react to the present in ways that were imprinted long ago, with thoughts, emotions, reactions learned in response to events perhaps only dimly similar, but close enough to alarm the amygdala. The emergency route from eye or ear to thalamus to amygdala is crucial, it saves time in an emergency, when an instantaneous response is required. But this circuit from thalamus to amygdala carries only a small portion of sensory messages, with the majority taking the main route up to the neocortex. So what registers in the amygdala via this express route is, at best, rough and then it responds with a rapid turn on emotion. Ledoux calls it precognitive emotion, a reaction based on neural bits and pieces of sensory information that have not been fully sorted out and integrated into a recognizable object. Small wonder we can have so little insight into the murk of our more explosive emotions, especially while they still hold us in thrall. The amygdala can react in a delirium of rage or fear before the cortex knows what is going on because such raw emotion is triggered independent of, and prior to, thought. These investigations also substantiate the fact that no matter what degree of control is exercised by the neocortex in terms of morals, ethics, good intentions, etc., when push comes to shove we revert to type, and reverting to type means animal instinctual. This is clearly verified by the being overcome by rage, fear or sadness and being unable to stop it. The feeling brain versus the thinking brain, amygdala versus neocortex. While the amygdala is at work in priming an anxious, impulsive reaction, another part of the emotional brain allows for a more fitting, corrective response which are the prefrontal lobes of the neocortex just behind the forehead. This neocortical area of the brain brings a more analytic or appropriate response to our emotional impulses, modulating the amygdala and other limbic areas. 
Ordinarily the prefrontal areas govern our emotional reactions from the start. The largest projection of sensory information from the thalamus, remember, goes not to the amygdala, but to the neocortex and its many centers for taking in and making sense of what is being perceived. If in the process an emotional response is called for, the prefrontal lobes dictate it, working hand-in-hand with the amygdala and other circuits in the emotional brain. This progression, which allows for discernment in emotional response, is the standard arrangement, with the significant exception of emotional emergencies. When an emotion triggers, within moments the prefrontal lobes perform what amounts to a risk-slash-benefit ratio of myriad possible reactions, and bet that one of them is best. For animals, it is, when to attack, when to run. And for we humans, when to attack, when to run, and also, when to placate, persuade, seek sympathy, stonewall, provoke guilt, whine, put on a facade of bravado, be contemptuous, and so on, through the whole repertoire of emotional wiles. The neocortical response is slower in brain time than the hijack mechanism because it involves more circuitry. It can also be more judicious and considered, since more thought precedes feeling. When we register a loss and become sad, or feel happy after a triumph, or mull over something someone has said or done and then get hurt or angry, the neocortex is at work. Thus, emotional hijackings involve two dynamics, triggering of the amygdala and a failure to activate the neocortical processes that usually keep the emotional response in balance. At these moments the rational mind is swamped by the emotional. One way the prefrontal cortex acts as an efficient manager of emotion, weighing reactions before acting, is by dampening the signals for activation sent out by the amygdala and other limbic centers, something like a parent who stops an impulsive child from grabbing and tells the child to ask properly or wait for what it wants instead. Thus, greater than if the amygdala often acts as an emergency trigger, the left prefrontal lobe, neocortex, appears to be part of the brain's off switch for disturbing emotion, the amygdala proposes, the prefrontal lobe disposes. These prefrontal limbic connections are crucial in mental life far beyond fine-tuning emotion, they are essential for navigating us through the decisions that matter most in life. Greater than. Greater than Daniel Goleman, Emotional Intelligence. Thus, the above discussion on neurobiology makes it glaringly obvious that, no matter how good or well-intentioned I am, it is factually impossible to be free of malice and sorrow unless I am free of the instinctual animal programming in its entirety. The Solution to End Afflictive Emotions Based on Neurology Working on the above neurology model, Daniel Goleman suggests the concept of emotional intelligence. He says, Greater than the emotions, then matter for rationality. In the dance of feeling and thought the emotional faculty guides our moment-to-moment decisions, working hand-in-hand with the rational mind, enabling, or disabling, thought itself. Likewise, the thinking brain plays an executive role in our emotions, except in those moments when emotions surge out of control, and the emotional brain runs rampant. Greater than. Greater than in a sense we have two brains, two minds, and two different kinds of intelligence, rational and emotional. How we do in life is determined by both, it is not just IQ, but emotional intelligence that matters. Indeed, intellect cannot work at its best without emotional intelligence. Ordinarily the complementarity of limbic system and neocortex, amygdala and prefrontal lobes, means each is a full partner in mental life. When these partners interact well, emotional intelligence rises, as does intellectual ability. Greater than. Greater than this turns the old understanding of the tension between reason and feeling on its head, it is not that we want to do away with emotion and put reason in its place, as Erasmus had it, 
but instead find the intelligent balance of the two. The old paradigm held an ideal of reason freed of the pull of emotion. The new paradigm urges us to harmonize head and heart. To do that well in our lives means we must first understand more exactly what it means to use emotion intelligently. Greater than. Greater than Daniel Goleman, Emotional Intelligence. On the other hand Peter of Actual Freedom uses this model not just to balance thought and emotion but for complete destruction of self. According to him, the complete way to end afflictive emotions is to weaken this signaling from the amygdala to the frontal cortex to such an extent that eventually the signaling ceases altogether. With the cessation of this signaling, the chemical flows from the amygdala, comes the extinction of the instinctual self-one very being, the associated instinctual passions. One can live without any identity whatsoever, be it societal or instinctual. The first step is societal, stepping out of society, one's social identity is left behind, there is no illusionary person in the executive suite, no little man inside the head pulling the levers. I have written about it in my article What is Psychological Becoming and How It Causes Suffering? The second step is instinctual, one's instinctual being is left behind, the signaling from the amygdala ceased completely. And the solution he provides to end this link between the amygdala and the neocortex and thus to end the self is greater than neither repressing nor expressing, neither denying nor transcending, neither rejecting nor accepting, but actively observing and developing an understanding of these emotional signals, and how they cause malice and sorrow in your life. Greater than Greater than Peter http colon slash slash www.actualfreedom.com.au slash library slash topics slash instincts.htm. I totally agree with Peter on this solution. What I don't agree to, is, he thinks that all traditional paths missed this solution, and he is the first one to have found it. It is indeed very surprising that he thinks so, because every non-dual path, including the teacher he had followed in his own spiritual journey, J. Krishnamurti had taught the same solution, total ending of psychological memory slash consciousness. In fact, what he proposes above is exactly what I described as Uddhasanata slash high indifference in my previous article. I shall quickly show how Advaita is talking about the same solution. The Advaita model versus the neurology model. Advaita has a very simple five sheets model comprising a human being based on pure observation. We can map the brain parts of the neurobiology model with the sheets of Advaita in the following way. Amygdala equals monomia kosha slash mind sheath. Neocortex equals vignanomia kosha slash intellect sheath. Emotional memory equals unendomia kosha slash causal body containing vashanas slash karmic imprint slash emotional memory. Once this is done, we can now see what Peter has proposed as a solution is exactly what is proposed by Advaita. For this I am resorting to quotes from a very revered Advaita text called Vivekachudamani. The solution in Advaita is to dissolve the subtle body, Munanasha and Vashankshaya, which means to dissolve Manomia Kosha by ending the Vashanas slash emotional memory, exactly similar to what Peter says, to weaken this signaling from the amygdala to the frontal cortex to such an extent that eventually the signaling ceases altogether. With the cessation of this signaling, the chemical flows from the amygdala, comes the extinction of the instinctual self-one very being, the associated instinctual passions. The work is done in two stages. 1. Arrive at witness stage through self-knowledge. 2. Abide as witness to see through all Vashanas, Tatiksha and Uddhasanata stages, as Peter says, neither repressing nor expressing, neither denying nor transcending, neither rejecting nor accepting, 
but actively observing and developing an understanding of these emotional signals, and how they cause malice and sorrow in your life. Following are the quotes from Viveka Shudmani. Greater than verse 267. Even after the truth has been realized, there remains that strong, beginningless, obstinate impression that one is the agent and experiencer, which is the cause of one's transmigration. It has to be carefully removed by living in a state of constant identification with the Supreme Self. Sages call that liberation which is the attenuation of Vashanas, impressions, here and now. Greater than verse 269. Realizing thy own inmost self, the witness of the intellect and its modifications, and constantly revolving the positive thought, I am that, conquer this identification with the non-self. Greater than verse 276. Being ever fixed on his own self, witness, the mind of the meditator ends. Then there is complete cessation of vashanas. So negate entirely your superimpositions. Greater than 299. So long as one has any relation to this wicked ego, there should not be the least talk about liberation, which is unique. Greater than verse 300. Freed from the clutches of egoism, as the moon from the eclipse, man attains to his real nature, and becomes pure, infinite, ever blissful and self-luminous. I don't need to elaborate anything on these verses, they are self-explanatory. They go on to show exactly what Peter of actual freedom claims as his enlightenment, despite his misgivings and wrong interpretations about traditional paths. Ultimately, one can see how that there is a great match between Advaita and neurobiology if we take the neurobiological model as a language and conceptual model. In the next section I shall show examine Peter's model and show how it too exactly maps with Advaita. Please click link below for next page. Peter's solution same as Advaita. I am reproducing quotes from Peter's actual freedom website to compare Peter's path and show how even self-proclaimed realized beings like him can make uncharitable and ununsubstantiated claims about other paths. After seeing the comparisons I draw, one can easily see that Peter is saying exactly the same thing in terms of results, almost the same in terms of method, but claiming it as if it was his personal discovery and totally misunderstanding Eastern paths like Advaita. Greater than the rudimentary animal instinctual self we are born with is overlaid with a social identity instilled since birth by our peers. Greater than. Greater than this identity consists of the morals and ethics that have been drilled into us from the time when we were first rewarded for good and right behavior and punished for bad and wrong behavior. We are thus taught to emphasize and highly value the good instinctual passions and to repress and control the savage passions. Greater than. Greater than our social identity is in fact made up of the morals, ethics and values that are programmed into us by our parents, teachers and others to ensure that we will become a fit, useful and loyal member of the particular society into which we were born. Greater than. Greater than usually we divide our instinctual passions into groupings of good and bad and try either to repress or deny the bad ones, fear and aggression, while giving full vent and validity to the good ones, nurture and desire. Greater than. Greater than http colon slash slash www.actualfreedom.com.au slash introduction slash normal solutions dot htm. I have written about dealing with all emotions without repression and how does a yani person deal with the negative impacts of the world, part one third, tadiksha slash endurance, so obviously all this is nothing new for Advaita and for the teachings of J. Krishnamurti. By the time one has come to the witness stage in Advaita, one has already discarded the social identity. Viveka Judamani says. Verse 254. That which is beyond caste and creed, family and lineage, 
Devoid of name and form, merit and demerit, transcending space, time and sense object, that Braham art thou, meditate on this in thy mind. The instinctual self is further discarded in Advaita by abiding as witness and destroying all Vashanas. Greater than Eastern spiritual belief has it that human existence on earth is a necessary suffering and that ultimate peace and fulfillment lies elsewhere, after death. Greater than. Greater than extolling these primitive superstitions and beliefs of Eastern spiritualism as great wisdom or even the truth is to actively deny that it is the instinctual passions, both the revered good and the repressed bad, that are the root cause of human malice and sorrow. Indulging in the practice of denial and the belief of transcendence only serves to prevent one from undertaking the common-sense investigation that can bring an irrevocable end to one's personal malice and sorrow. Greater than. Greater than http colon slash slash www.actualfreedom.com.au slash introduction slash spiritual solutions 3.htm. Obviously, Peter is quite off the mark here as far as Advaita is concerned. Firstly, Advaita talks about liberation and life or Jivan Mukti, and not some ultimate peace after death, as verse 300 of Viveka Chudamani clearly shows. Secondly, all the verses of Viveka Chudami point to how the ego is confronted and ended rather than suppressed, repressed or denied. Lastly, Advaita talks about timeless reality, which is immune to it ever becoming primitive as Peter says in a condemnatory tone. Greater than there is, however, a third alternative to either remaining normal or becoming spiritual, and this third alternative offers a genuine and actual freedom from the human condition of malice and sorrow. Greater than. Greater than a way has now been pioneered to reprogram the human brain such that one can safely delete one's instilled social programming of morals, ethics, beliefs, spiritual superstitions, and cynicisms. Greater than. Greater than one is then able to dig deeper and evince an extinction of the insidious influence of the genetically encoded instinctual animal passions of fear, aggression, nurture and desire. Greater than. Greater than given that each and every individual human being is both socially and genetically programmed it is therefore purely a personal task to free oneself from malice and sorrow. Greater than one simply needs to unselfishly devote one's life to the pioneering task of irrevocable change by seizing the immediate opportunity of investigating the human condition in operation in oneself, as oneself. Greater than. Greater than http colon slash slash www.actualfreedom.com.au slash introduction slash spiritual solutions 3.htm. Well, the above is exactly what we do in self-inquiry in Advaita. I don't see anything new in what Peter is saying. Advaita does not begin with any position of reality. It is based on neti, neti, not this, not this, through an active process of self-inquiry. It is totally an effort to be undertaken by an individual. Greater than the modern scientific empirical discoveries of neurobiology and genetics, with regard to the human brain and how it functions, have revealed two very fascinating aspects- dash. Greater than greater than that the brain is programmable in the same way a computer is programmable. The program is formed by physical connections or pathways between neurons, and this program is mostly formed after birth. These pathways, synapse, are also capable of being changed at any time. The old connection simply dies for lack of use and a new one is formed. Greater than. Greater than that the human brain is also pre-programmed via a genetic code, 
with a set of base or instinctual operating functions, located in the primitive brain system which causes automatic thoughtless passionate reactions, primarily those of fear, aggression, nurture and desire, to be transmitted via chemical messages to various parts of the body including the neocortex. Physiological alterations that could eliminate this crude programming, as a biological adaptation to change circumstances, are well documented within the animal species. Greater than Greater than the first discovery accords with the practical experience of being able to radically change one's social identity, the program instilled since birth that consists of the morals, ethics, values and cynicisms that make up our social identity. It stands to reason that a psychological identity that is malleable to radical change is also susceptible to total elimination. Greater than Greater than the second discovery accords with the practical possibility of eliminating one's very being dash the emotive source of the instinctual survival passions of fear, aggression, nurture and desire. This blind and senseless survival program is now well and truly redundant for many human beings, and can now be safely deleted, for the human species has not only survived, it is now beginning to flourish. Greater than Greater than given that the instinctual animal self in humans has morphed into a sophisticated and coming psychological and psychic identity that appears to live within the flesh and blood body, it is obvious that the instinctual animal passions can only be eradicated by eliminating both the psychological self and the instinctual self. Greater than Greater than the elimination of oneself needs to be total, both who you think you are as a social identity, and who blind nature has programmed you to instinctively feel you are, in spiritual terms, both the ego and the soul. Greater than. Greater than the good news is that with the extinction of who you think and feel you are what you are will emerge, a flesh and blood human being, free of malice and sorrow and free of any metaphysical delusions whatsoever. Greater than. Greater than http colon slash slash www.actualfreedom.com.au slash introduction slash actualfreedom1.htm The above is nothing but a precy of Peter's interpretation of the neurological model, which I have shown can be mapped exactly to Advaita. Greater than everybody has had a pure consciousness experience sometime in their life where, for a brief period, one magically finds oneself in a selfless state of sensate only experiencing and the perfection and purity of the actual world, the fairytale-like physical universe, becomes stunningly and sensuously apparent. Greater than Greater than a pure consciousness experiences a temporary, selfless and sensuous experience of the perfection and purity of the actual universe. A PCE offers a glimpse or window out from the real world everyone is born into and therefore assumes to be all there is, and one suddenly finds oneself in the unimaginable, magical, fairytale-like actual world. Greater than Greater than for a brief period, there is no self as a mediator, interpreter, censor or spoiler. All is directly evidenced by the physical senses to be pure, perfect, delightful. One's intelligence is freed of any emotions and affective feelings, thinking becomes benign, clear and concise, free of malice and sorrow. The already existing innate purity and perfection that becomes stunningly apparent in this selfless state instantly renders redundant the need for any morals, ethics or any kind of self-control. With awareness and intelligence operating totally freed from the human condition, I can then be clearly seen for what I am, a parasitical identity who is the source of my own suffering and my own malice. Greater than Greater than http colon slash slash www.actualfreedom.com.au slash introduction slash actualfreedom2.htm While Peter relies on a PCE-peak consciousness experience, a mere memory, for his inquiry, Advaita relies on something indestructible, 
self-knowledge acquired through insight. The witness that Advaita relies on to uproot all Vashanas is not a memory but reality, the innate purity and perfection, which Peter is talking about, and the very reality one is trying to totally uncover by shedding Vashanas slash instinctual emotions. The witness is the pure consciousness, Richard is speaking about, that underlies all experiences. One may read about this in my article Turiya, The Fourth State of Consciousness and End of Suffering. Greater than self-awareness is possible in human beings and that we have the ability to develop and maintain an ongoing awareness of both the social conditioning of beliefs, morals and ethics one has been instilled with since birth as well as the feelings and deep-seated emotions that are the result of the instinctual passions and operation. What one is ultimately attempting to do by sustaining an ongoing self-awareness is to eradicate who one thinks one is and who one feels oneself to be by the simple process of exposing both one's social and instinctual identity to the bright light of awareness. Greater than. Greater than self-awareness is not a natural phenomenon and one will no doubt discover an innate resistance to getting it up and running, a resistance that can only be overcome by the sincere intent to become happy and harmless, as one was in a pure consciousness experience, for 24 hours. A day, every day. Even then this ongoing attentiveness needs to be actively cultivated and then persistently practiced in order to ensure success. Greater than. Greater than http colon slash slash www.actualfreedom.com.au slash introduction slash actualfreedom 3htm I fail to understand how this self-awareness is different from standing as witness in Advaita, to uproot Vashanas slash instinctual emotions. The above, i.e. dash exposing both one's social and instinctual identity to the bright light of awareness is exactly what we are doing in witnessing. See verses 260 and 276 of the Vekachudamani. Greater than the vowed aim of meditation is to escape from the world, transcend the ego and become the soul, an imaginary and delusionary shifting of one's identity from mortal to immortal, from animal to divine. Whereas the whole point of the process of actualism is to be aware of, identify, investigate and eliminate both one's social and one's instinctual identity, both ego and soul, for both are the source of one's malice and sorrow. The goal is to become actually happy and harmless, on earth, in this very lifetime. Greater than. Greater than http colon slash slash www.actualfreedom.com.au slash introduction slash actualfreedom3.htm In Advaita, one is not at all transcending anything or becoming the soul. It is understood in Advaita that reality, which is Braham, is what you are, Tattvamasi, I have spoken about this quite clearly in my article Tattvamasi, you are Braham. Braham is the same reality that Peter speaks about experiencing in his PCE here, everybody has had a pure consciousness experience sometime in their life where, for a brief period, one magically finds oneself in a selfless state of sensate only experiencing and the perfection and purity of the actual world in fact the very word Braham is also called Sat Chit Ananda, pure existence consciousness bliss. Obviously Peter is very mistaken. He takes the word soul as it is taken in dualistic traditions. Perhaps he never studied Eastern non-dual paths. Greater than there is a third alternative in investigating effective feelings, emotions and instinctual passions and it involves neither repressing nor expressing, the traditional either slash or approach. This alternative approach requires breaking the habit of either expressing or repressing feelings, emotions and passions. Clearly seeing what one is doing to others by expressing, or attempting to suppress, anger is surely sufficient to stop if one's intent is to become harmless. Greater than. 
Greater than the other good reason to stop expressing feelings such as anger is that one then stops the endless cycle of being angry, feeling guilty, wallowing in shame, seeking solace in resentment, plotting revenge and building up to being angry again. By neither suppressing or repressing your feelings and emotions, you are then able to feel the feelings as they happen. This observing and investigating, neither suppressing or expressing, has the added advantage of both getting men fully into their feelings for the first time in their life and getting women to examine their feelings, one by one, instead of being run by a basketful of them all at once. Greater than. Greater than few spiritual believers are prepared to make this investigation of feelings, emotions and instinctual passions for they see that if they dare to question the spiritual good feelings they will simply end up back in the real world that they have been desperately trying to escape from. Some also feel that to question their spiritual beliefs is to go towards the devil or evil while others see it as ending up in some sort of robotic catatonic state of non-feeling. What belies these fears is the PCE where the purity, perfection and benevolence of the actual world is magically apparent, solely due to the fact that both I's ego and me a soul are temporarily absent. Greater than Greater than http colon slash slash www.actualfreedom.com.au slash introduction slash actualfreedom3.htm All the above is exactly the method I covered in my article How Does a Yoni Person Deal with the Negative Impacts of the World, Part 2 Thirds, Uddhusanata slash High Indifference, which again is very much part of Advaita practice. Thus, all the above considerations go on to conclusively demonstrate not only that Peter of actual freedom is totally unaware of the real teachings of Eastern non-dual paths like Advaita or if he is aware, he is oblivious of the true teachings of Shankara and Gaudapada. In fact, I may even go a step further and speak for all Eastern non-dual paths like Buddhism or Tantra and even subtle non-dual paths like Yoga, Sankhya, and Jainism, that each one of them talks about the same result as Peter does. I am grateful for his writings, however, which showed me how the neurological theory of emotions can be used to demonstrate the workings of Advaita, not that Advaita needs them in any way, smiley face.